church? Uh, will you please remain standing just in, to honor the reading of God's Word? This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. It says, <clears throat> In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. Go ahead and have a seat. As Pastor Mike shared, it is, uh, it is my opportunity and my blessing and my privilege to be able to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. And if you are, are unfamiliar with what we're doing, we've actually started a series uh, titled Reframing God's Blessing. Because I don't know about you, but I know living in our culture today, we kind of live in a soundbite culture. We live in a, a bumper, sticker, bumper sticker mentality culture where we like to say things. We grab words and we make campaigns out of them. So you might see things like shirts that say blessed or on, like on TikTok or Facebook or Twitter. You see things like hashtag blessed. And we kind of have this misnomer as a, as a country, as a, as a world, that we think that if we have money, power, or status, we are blessed. When that's actually not necessarily the case. We as a church, we've taken some time now to start a series where we're looking at what does it really mean for us as followers of Jesus? What does it really mean for us to be blessed? And we learned when we started this series that being blessed is having spiritual benefit from the Lord, from God. We've looked at a few other uh, key aspects of what and how we benefit or how we're blessed, but today it is my privilege to be able to share with you what it looks like for us to be blessed because of the Son. As a matter of fact, today, as we, as we go through this passage, we're going to learn that, that redemption, redemption through Christ's blood, is our blessing for God's glory. That is the main point today. I'll say that again. That, that redemption through Christ's blood is our blessing for God's glory glory. Now, before I go on any further, let's just take a moment to pray and just to prepare our hearts to just dive into to God's Word. Father, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity as a family to come and to gather around your Word. Father, I pray that in this moment, in this time, Lord, that this would truly be your message. Father, speak to our hearts no matter where we are in our journeys with you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would hear your word, Lord, that we would hear your love. And Father, that in response to that love, Lord, I pray that we would glorify your name. Be with us now. In your name I pray. Amen. As we start this message, I, I want to, I guess, kind of give you a heads up. 
Because maybe you've grown up in church and, and maybe you, you've heard the gospel many, many, many times and maybe some of the things we're about to go over is stuff that you've heard before, especially as we look at the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I want to challenge you with this notion, right? Because I, I don't know about you, but I, one of my hobbies in life is I, I enjoy watching movies. I, uh, I think it was in 2007 when I realized that because I'm an adult with money, I could watch a movie multiple times in theaters if I chose to. I just like throw money at Hollywood, I guess. But one of the things I like to do as I, as I watch movies is I start to, I'll watch things and maybe I get caught up in the big spectacle of what's happening on screen that I start to miss little and key details. So upon second viewings of those things, I actually start, I stop looking at the big bombastic things and I start looking at the smaller details and how that starts to maybe slightly alter the actual narrative of the story. It gives me a clearer picture of what's happening. And today, as we look at essentially the gospel, my hope and my prayer for you is that actually that we would just slow down. That as we begin to talk about the blood of Christ and our redemption in him, that we would look at the gospel in its entirety and that we would present to you maybe there is a part missing in the gospel that, that has been, honestly, been a cancer to your own spiritual soul, to your own spiritual walk. So as we begin to go over those, these things, let's just slow down and breathe this in. First, as we look at this, as we look at the idea that redemption through Christ's blood is, is our blessing for God's glory, we're going to look at the first verse in verse 7 where we will learn that, that the blessing of redemption came through Christ's blood. The blessing of redemption came through Christ's blood blood. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, in him, Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The Apostle Paul who writes this letter makes a statement that we have redemption through Christ's blood and defines that based on that redemption, we, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. But to really grab a hold of this passage, we need to look at the concept of redemption because maybe you're impacted by culture like I am. And when I think of the words like, like redeem, I think of like coupons. I think of going to the store, turning in a little coupon, getting something on half off or something like that, redeeming some sweet, sweet deals. But in actuality, this idea of redemption is actually quite savage. That, that, that the cultural context behind the idea of, of redemption in this is that it, it, it notes the release or deliverance from a state of slavery. It comes from this idea that, that someone has redeemed, that, like, that, that someone with wealth has come in and horrifically has entered into a slave market and is looking out amongst those he could purchase, and he has bought someone out of the slave market and that now owns them. As a matter of fact, actually, uh, the same author, the Apostle Paul, writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, for he, Christ, again, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in, him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As in Christ has entered into that market. He saw you, me. He has bought us with, for a price and now he owns us. He has entered us into the, the kingdom of God. But the price that he paid 
was his blood. The pushback on this, as we often talk about redemption, is that most people think, well, I'm not a slave to sin. Why do I, why do I need redemption? Well, the Bible teaches, actually, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all, all of us, you, me, Mike, all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that we, we at one point in time, we were slaves to sin. And you might think to yourself, well, what, is that, what, is, what does slavery to sin look like? And I, let, me, let me illustrate that to you, because honestly, it's, it's not necessarily just one habitual destructive tendency over and over and over again. It's a life of aimlessness. Because the Bible teaches, right, that you and I, that we are sinners, and being sinners, we are rebellious to the ways of God, but also there is deep hurt and brokenness in, brokenness in our lives. Maybe you can identify with this because I think, I think all of us start to kind of wake up in around middle school and high school. That somewhere in, there, in our lives, you start to realize that there is some deep, wounding pain in our lives and we're trying to, to deal with it. But instead of turning to God in, our, in, in, in love and obedience, we turn away in rebellion and say, God, your, your ways are, are too restrictive. They're not good for me. I'm going to find my own way. So to deal with that pain, we engage in something called the avoidance culture where we find things to numb our sense and to numb our thoughts so we don't have to deal with the things inside our lives. So maybe at an early age, this is, I mean, this is very viable. I think that maybe a, a, a child starts to think, like, well, I'll just start going into video games or fantasy novels or whatever. I'll just try to escape so I can just get away from the pain in my heart. But as they get older, they start to experience with things. Maybe, maybe in high school, they become alcoholics because they start to drink. And they think, well, maybe I'll just do what I see adults do. I'll just drink my pain away. But then maybe over the course of years, they wake up and they realize, you know what, maybe drinking isn't a good idea, you know, being drunk all the time. So then they think, maybe, maybe I'll just swing the other direction. Maybe instead of doing something destructive, I'll do something healthy. So they, they I don't know, they go vegan and they start to, not that that's necessarily healthy, but like, <laughs> they start to do things to try to better their lives. Maybe they get into CrossFit and all these things, you know, and maybe after years of just getting jacked. They wake up one day and they realize that pain, that brokenness, that's still there. Because what you have done is that you have denied the answer of Christ, but you have chosen a false answer over and over and over and over again. Because no matter what we do, trying to avoid the very things in our souls and our hearts, it's not the answer. And so we are actually slaves to that sin because of, unless we turn to Christ, it's still just a false answer. But in this, because Christ came, came and he died on the cross for us, he gives us the answer, he himself. And there are times that people think that's great for the Christian. That's great that God, that Jesus would do that. But listen, I'm here to tell you that the Bible is clear that Jesus is the only way because there's no other being in human history or in the history of the universe that has ever died and redeemed us with their very own blood. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anything else outside of Christ will fail you. 
Anything outside of Christ will fail you. So this redemption through Christ's blood, it's, it's given to us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes if, you, if you ever work with like a teenager, and sometimes I'll make a request, and you're, you're like, I'll answer that request, and you kind of do it begrudgingly, begrudgingly. And you think to yourself, well, is that how God works with us at times? Is it that when we turn to God and we, 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 we admit that we're wrong, we, we admit that we need, is he there just waiting to just be, yeah, I told you, and just to rub it in our faces? No, actually, look at the next verse. It says in Ephesians 8, if we actually just back up a little bit to the last part of, that, of, of verse 7, it says that Jesus' redemption through his blood, it's given according to the riches of his grace, which, in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So we see here that the blessings of Christ's blood was lavished upon us in grace. Let me say that again. The blessing of Christ's blood was lavished upon us in grace. The idea of the word lavish, if you look at the Greek, it's, it means to cause something to exist in abundance. That means when, when Christ was sacrificed for us, when God gave his only begotten son so that we may have eternal life, God didn't do this with a stingy attitude. That God, his grace given to us, he has lavished it upon us. And if you look at the context of Ephesians, if you see how positive everything is that Paul writes about how we are blessing him, this is an emotionally exciting term that God, his love is being poured out to us in grace and it's just freely being, it is, it is lavished upon us so that we may be excited and that we may grow. And one of the best ways I can illustrate this as I think about it is have you ever had a desire to bless someone? They just pour love out on them and just see their eyes light up excitedly. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to do that. Pastor Mike has, has three kids, and, and my favorite one is no. <laughs> They're all not in the service, right? Extra for Jaden. Well, whatever, Jaden. Ash, I had an opportunity a couple months ago to take, take Asher out to lunch because Mike had some appointments he had to do, and, and so I was like, hey, I'll, I'll take Asher off your hands. And I thought to myself, man, I, I want to bless... I want to bless my little buddy because I, since Asher's shown up here four years ago, we, I don't know, he's like, he said I'm his, one of his best friends, which like touches me deeply. So I thought, hey, here's an opportunity for me to just love on this child. So I said, hey, Mike, tell Asher, I'll take him to lunch anywhere, anywhere he wants to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him, originally I was just going to let him order and then get him like double that. He can't eat that much, but I wanted him to know. I love this kid. So I got up to the office to, to grab him. And I love how articulate he is. He goes, Andrew, I, I thought about where I wanted to go to lunch, and there's, I, I narrowed it down to two places. Uh, I, I either want to go to Chipotle or I want to go to Wendy's and get a Frosty, but uh, I don't know which one I want to do. I'm okay. You can choose whatever one, and I'm fine with it. And I looked at Asher, and I said, Asher, this is America. You don't have to choose. We can do both. I understand that is probably the wrong thing to teach a child. <laughs> totally understand that. Mike has revealed to me this is why I don't spend time with Asher anymore. <laughs> but listen, have you ever wanted to bless someone and you, you make a proposition like that and you see their eyes just light up? Like they can't comprehend 
what is about to happen. They just know they are in it for a good time. That is the Lord lavishing upon us grace and blessing. Because Jesus died on the cross, you are blessed because of his sacrifice. But listen, the Bible goes on to say that God did this in wisdom and in, in all insight. So instead of, you know, a 35-year-old man not understanding how much money he had on him at the time, God understands the price that he is paying, and he does so willingly. He does so lovingly because he loves you. He lavishes grace upon us because he wants you to know his love so that it would culminate in his glory. But listen, this is a big deal. This is a big deal, and I know we talk about the love of Christ, and we, as a church, we should be talking about that all the time, over and over and over again, but the Bible takes a moment to let us know that this is a big deal because this has been the plan from the beginning of time. God set this plan in motion that you would see grace lavished upon you for those of us who claim Christ as Lord and Savior. Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10 goes on to say this. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It has always been the plan that Christ, because of his death and resurrection, that we would see the bridge between the heavenly places and those of us on earth. That we would bring things under his lordship and in harmony because he is Lord of all. Our blessing in Christ has been the plan. And verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will. You need to understand that even at the beginning of time, when in the Old Testament, when the prophets were teaching about the Lord, and we were talking about the coming Messiah, they didn't quite understand what was happening. This was revealed, to, this, this, was, this is kept to them as a secret. And in Hebrews, it teaches us that we, that we know that on this end of the cross, that we know that this culminated in Jesus saving us and establishing the church that we are a part of, his people. We we are part of the church for those of us who claim Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we belong to him. That has always been the plan. So if you have claimed Christ, this wasn't by accident that God has seen you in eternity past and he has made provision. And he has revealed to us this knowledge that we may glorify him. And now, as we move on to this last point here, I need you to slow down again, because this is crucial. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 and 12 says this. In him, in Christ, 
We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So let's look at that first part where it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. What does that actually mean? Well, we can actually look at 1 Peter and we can get a little bit of an understanding of what that is. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When you study Ephesians and we talk about the inheritance commentators have two, essentially two schools of thought. And one, one, one section of, of commentators will say, well, our inheritance are literally, it's, it's what we inherit when we are obedient to God and he rewards us because Christ talked about you know, jewels in heaven waiting for us as we are obedient to him. That when we are going to heaven, when we cross over into the eternal plane, that we are met with those things that we've been storing up for ourselves in heaven because of obedience to him. But then other commentators would challenge that and be like, yeah, yeah, that's all great, but you know what's the real inheritance? is actually Christ himself. That when we cross over, that we will have perfect relationship with him and God the Father, that we will know all comfort and peace and the life that has been attributed to us because of, of this redemption, that we walk in perfect fellowship with him. I don't necessarily why it has to be an either-or thing, but both of these concepts, the idea of inheritance, is supposed to bring us hope. Because especially in, in, in that Peter passage, when Peter wrote this to the church, he wrote this to a church that was facing persecution, slaughter, and things as, as they were looking at their lives here and just coming to this understanding that life on earth can be hard at times, downright, it could be terrible. That our hope isn't this plain but it is the next, and that is the thing that we cling on to as we move forward. That is the idea of our inheritance. And I hope and I pray that, that you realize that for you who call Christ Lord and Savior, you have an inheritance waiting for you. This isn't it. We're moving on to something greater and something better. Now the passage goes on saying that these, these inheritances, it's, it's all been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Luckily, if, if you were, have some questions about this idea, this plan, and all these things, Pastor Mike has actually already addressed that in one of our earlier messages. And you can go on, on YouTube or our websites or Spotify or SoundCloud, any of those, there's a lot of places. You can go and you can pick up on that message. But tonight, or today, it's 11 o'clock, I want you to look at this, at the very last part of verse 12. It says, 
So, so concluding, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We obtain an inheritance through the redemption of Christ's blood, not so that we can just have an inheritance, but it culminates, it culminates to the praise of God's glory. If you have a Bible on you right now, I want you to turn it on, and I want you to highlight that last part, to the praise of his glory. Because this phrase, this truth, is such a subtle thing. But honestly, it is the most freeing thing. Friends, brothers, sisters, there is a lie. There is a lie that we as, as Christians, sometimes we succumb to that has been running rampant in our hearts, and it is a cancer to our souls. And it's so subtle that we often don't know why we're thinking the way that we're thinking. We don't know why we're, we're so far from God. We don't know why we're so frustrated. And let me, let me illustrate to you like this, this, this subtle lie. What if you came to me and said, Andrew, what is the gospel? And I simply shared with you this. The gospel is, I am a broken and rebellious sinner and I have offended God. So Jesus, because he loves me, has died on the cross for me so that if I repent and turn from my sin and, and, and come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and Christ alone, I can have eternal life with him forever. What's wrong with that gospel statement? I'll be honest with you, there is something wrong with that statement. And it's incredibly subtle. That statement, that gospel statement, begins and it ends with me. This is a big deal. Because the gospel isn't, I'm a sinner. No, 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 no. The gospel is that there is a great, glorious, wondrous, righteous God who has created man in his image to have fellowship with us, but we are rebellious. And we have spit in his face, and we have crucified his son. But that was done so that we may know and be free of the wrath of God, so that we may turn from him and that we may enter into eternal life with him so that God would be seen as great, as glorious, as righteous, as just, and as gracious, so that God would be glorified. Friends, it's so subtle for us to forget that it's not about us. 
It's so subtle for us to, to think that when we share the gospel and that we repeat to ourselves, yeah, you're right, Lord, we're, I'm broken and I need you and I need your help to be better. So when we have that mentality, when we leave it at us, it builds this, this disconnect from what Christ really is doing. It builds this disconnect from the blessing of Christ and his redemption on the cross. Because what happens then is if, you, if it ends with you, you'll come to a service. You'll hear pr- the preaching of God's word. You'll hear the standard of God's word. And you'll hear things like, you're, no, you're right, I'm convicted. Lord, you're calling me to be a better husband. You're calling me to be a better friend. You're calling me to be a better steward of my finances. And what you'll do is I just need to be better. So you'll pull up your bootstraps and you'll try harder. And maybe you will be a little bit better. But then all of a sudden, the next week, we'll hear some preaching again. And then you think, oh, now I, now I need to be a better spouse. Or now I need to work on something else. And this happens over and over and over again. And in our hearts, though we maybe never articulate it, we feel it. That over the course of time, there is this begrudging feeling that I am not enough. that every time you come and because you're a believer and you want to love God and you agree with the word of God, you're hearing God's law and you're excited for it, but you keep walking away with, I am not enough. That is slavery to sin. Because let me share with you an idea. You're not enough. I'm just going to throw that out there. You're going to drive around the city. You're going to see all these signs that says you're, that, you, that you are worthy, that you are loved, that you are enough. Some of that is true. You are worthy for Christ to die for you, that he loved you so much that you are so valuable that Christ did die for you. But listen, even if you grow and even if you overcome, there is always going to be brokenness in your heart. And it's just going to be the cycle over and over and over again. And you're going to feel guilt and shame, the very thing that Christ died for, for to set you free of. And I know this full well. This is the wrestle in my own heart. At my desk, I have a picture that I have posted right next to my computer monitor. And I see this thing every day. This is a picture of the first youth group that I, I led outside of college, and I actually I fell in love with these kids. And I don't know if other ministers are like this, but I, I, I've been in ministry for a long time now, and there are people that I served and I cared about, and I, I did a lot of things for, and I, I cared about them. But this was the first youth group I ever worked with that I loved, that they captivated my heart. And as time went on, we, did, we had all these great plans and things were happening. God was moving and all these things. But because of my own brokenness, my own arrogance, I wounded these kids. I wounded them so deeply. I wounded them so deeply that many of them have walked away from church. That is where I was in my mind when I first showed up here at Valley almost 10 years ago. So since then, since then, since then, I have been working to grow, to overcome, to not let that happen again. As I look at our kids, as I look at you, I think to myself, 
you need better, and so I will be better. So it's become this crazy cycle of just trying to grow and live and be shown where I'm not doing very well and trying to do better. It's, cr- it's a crazy thing that like, I, I could be doing great, and there's always going to be someone in our church who's like, but you know what you could be doing? <laughs> it's just this ongoing cycle. And then last, last holiday season, I kind of snapped, because now along, along with that photo on my wall, I have this. I'm not showing you this because I want you to see a picture of me. Okay. <laughs> this is a picture, this is, this is a thank you card, actually, I got from our kids' ministry in November. And this is sentimental to me, not because I look awesome in that hoodie, <laughs> but because there are genuine affirmations from the kids in our church. And there's a part of me that feels this this love, I'm like, oh man, I love working with these kids. But at the same time, and probably more overwhelming when I first received this was, Andrew, don't mess up. Because I know the monster inside of me. I know the things that I struggle with. I know the things that God is saving me from. And I know and I know that though these children, some of them, many of them, hopefully all of them, they look up to me. And there is this pressure to know that someday I will say or do something that will wound them so deeply that their complete view of me will change. And I don't know if I can handle that again. It was through this wrestling that I, I just came to this realization that I've been living, though, trying to perform. See, I told you earlier, you're not enough. And when you keep thinking about you trying to be enough, that's what we've done, is we've made it about ourselves. In the last few months, something wonderful has happened. I have believed the gospel. Because you, here's the thing, you're not enough, but you know who is enough? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So I don't have to perform. I don't have to rear up and try to do better. But I could submit and live by faith that Christ is enough. And I will tell you, my friends, my family, that is freedom in that. So I want to share with you this idea as we wrap this up. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know if this is like the first month you've ever been attending church or if you've been attending church for 40 years or whatever it is. But I will tell you this. If you have succumbed to the lie and have made it about yourself and you're trying to be enough, that the gospel for you has began and ended with you, you can be free of that. You don't have to perform because Jesus is enough. 
So that when you go and you serve and when you do things, it's not because you feel in this obligation, but you're in a wow state. For me now, when I hear messages, when I hear the conviction of the Spirit of God, I'm not looking at my soul and be like, you piece of junk, Andrew. The Word of God shows you that you are terrible and all things. Come on, let's get it together. I'm no longer beating myself up, but instead I am in awe of the blood that has been shed for me so that I may reap the benefit of Christ's blessing. Our children's ministry in the last few months has done something crazy. I've watched now as children are beginning to find their lifelong friends as they're connecting, as they're gathering around the word, as they're encouraging each other. I'm watching as middle schoolers and high schoolers who I've been praying for for a while because they're all a little awkward, like meet friends and grow from there. This isn't because I'm doing anything, because I'm trying to do harder. This is all because Christ is enough. And now I'm free, instead of looking at me, I'm free to see him work in the lives of our children. My family, I pray for you that you can be set free to know that you don't have to perform to be valuable. You are valuable. That Christ has already overcome, and that is our blessing in him. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have set us free from having to perform. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that would make much of you and that you would help us put to death the desire to make much of ourselves. Father, you are great and you are glorious. I pray, Lord, that we we would hear your word, that you would give us the faith to believe your gospel and to hold on to your greatness and your goodness. In your name I pray, amen.